In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Let's talk about sleep for just a moment. Have you ever stopped to ponder that it's not something that you or I can choose to bring about? In fact, the best we can do is put ourselves in a posture to receive sleep. A whole industry has arisen around that, right? From bedding to weighted blankets to bed fans to eyewear to pajamas to the list goes on and on and on to so put us in a posture that sleep might come to us. And for some of us, um, that's easy. And for others of us, it's not. Sometimes you need all the necessary things, the right setting, the right lighting, the right posture. And for others of us, which is where I'm at in life, all you really need to do is just stop. (laughs) And when you do that, it comes upon you like a freight train. So at the risk of putting you to sleep, which I know some of you finally do when you reach Sunday mornings in the sermon, um, let's talk about sleep for just a minute, because in many ways, um, that's the best we get. My consciousness and yours ends there. I can't do much other than put myself in the right posture, whether it's slowing down or all the necessary things I can do to bring about sleep. But then my will, my consciousness ends, and we hope that at that point, sleep will find us and come upon us in such a way that we might rest. One Christian philosopher put it this way, um, that much in the same way, that is what happens with our will and our consciousness as it pertains to the Holy Spirit. In many ways, the best we can do is put ourselves in a posture to receive what the Holy Spirit purposes for each of us. I can no more bring about what the Holy Spirit, that third person of the Trinity, deigns to do any more than I can bring about sleep. However, I can be in a posture to receive the Holy Spirit, and that is what we talk about. That's what we reflect about, uh, reflect on, if you will, this day on Pentecost. Because Pentecost isn't just a one-time event or these high mountaintop moments, but it truly comes when the faithful are in a posture to receive what the Spirit of God purposes to do in their lives and then subsequently in the world around them. So let's look back at Acts chapter 2, bearing in mind um, some lessons about the posture in which the disciples were in, whereby they were receptive to what the Spirit of God purposed to do in their lives, and ultimately the very reason that you and I gather on this day of Pentecost as well. As we open to it in your Bible, if you follow along in Acts chapter 2 or if you want to follow along on the screens, um, let's get a little context. This moment is providential. Pentecost comes, as that name suggests, 50 days after Jesus uh, rose from the dead. Pentecost was also a Jewish festival, which was on the books, a Jewish festival of first fruits. And so, in God's perfect timing, Jews and God-fearers, God-fearers being those who um, practiced Judaism but were not of the nation of Israel, would all be gathered in Jerusalem to bring the first fruits, whatever that would be, their flock, their harvest, into the Lord. So they're gathered for this purpose, and there the disciples are gathered as well. The disciples are obedient unto Jesus' command. Remember, ten days prior, Jesus ascended into heaven and left them with one command, go Go and wait in the city in Jerusalem for the promise that will come upon you. There's a whole sermon for another day. They've been waiting 
for 10 days. They've been obediently waiting upon the Lord. They don't fully know what this moment will look like, and yet there they are. And so as they'd been doing for the prior nine days, they gathered together, they prayed, they worshiped, and they anticipated whatever it was that God purposed to do in their midst. So with that in mind, we pick up on verse 1, or in verse 1 rather, um, where uh, in many ways this is just another day uh, for the disciples since they've been gathered in the upper room. And it opens with what? On the day of Pentecost, when it had come, the disciples were gathered in one place. There's the first lesson. It's that obvious. They're gathered. They're gathered in one place. In fact, I think there's something that's so obvious and yet so often um, easy to overlook and much harder to do. It's easy for me to point out they gathered. It's easy for me to tell us we need to gather. But you and I know that there are many obstacles in gathering together in worship week after week after week. And it's not just because we're a generation or an age in time that has more things going on in life than anyone prior. In fact, Scripture points out the need to gather and the heart of those who gather when they get together. Paul writes to the church in Corinth that early on that they need to gather um, with a right heart to receive the Eucharist. As they were gathering, those who had means to have these great opulent feasts before they came to the church are actually doing them in the church, and those who were working or didn't have means would come later and there'd be nothing left. And Paul said, that's great, go do that in your homes and gather with a right heart when you come before the presence of God. Quite simply, later on in Hebrews, the author of the Hebrews just says, just gather, as many of you have neglected to do. Get together, don't forget it. And the church down through the ages has also tried to employ various strategies to get the faithful to gather whether it's saying that it's sinful not to do so and that you're in jeopardy if you don't get together, or as it's been more custom in the past 30, 40 years, to make it so attractive to gather that you won't want to miss it. But there's something in us that has to be obedient to say, yes, we'll gather because it's important. And when we gather, God continues to show up. So, beloved, don't neglect the privilege that it is to gather in the presence of Almighty God week in and week out. And there will always be obstacles. There were before COVID. There's more now with COVID. There's, I mean, there's always going to be something. Don't neglect the need to gather together because when you gather together, you gather together for a common purpose. The disciples did it. What? To worship God, to recount His goodness, and to be together. We need the encouragement of the body gathered. And we also know that when we're gathered together there, the Spirit of God enters into the midst of His people and does something incredible. Don't neglect the obvious but difficult lesson. And that need to gather um, the obstacles, if they're there, are more than that. They're warfare, spiritual warfare, around your need to get together. Because if we can be so distracted and derailed then we can miss what God purposes to do with us corporately and what he misses, what he wants to do with you individually. And therefore, the posture of Pentecost, quite simply, is showing up is the first part because therein is where God comes in our midst. Not that he can't do so individually. He does that. 
But when we get together, um, often we understand Scripture as He moves in and among us, as we converse around it, um, as we pray for one another, as we're encouraged, as we're built up, as we see we're not alone. So don't neglect to gather together. Because when God shows up, He purposes to do something far more than we can ask or imagine. And the lesson for that, actually, and the evidence of that is back in verse 4, if you look there with me. As they're gathered in one place, what happens? The Spirit of God rushes into the room, and there alights upon the disciples, and they were given gifts. The gift in that moment, that particular moment, was the gift of language, the gift of communication. And we should know, of course, from your biblical knowledge, that undoes something very early on in Scripture in Genesis, right? Where um, communication was used in a way to try to be like God, to be God. The evidence of that, of course, is in the Tower of Babel, where there's this idea that they can quite literally ascend to the heavens, and they work together for a common purpose, essentially, to want to take, essentially, God's place. And so God creates these different languages so that they might not find the harm that they would find if they themselves ruled themselves as each and every heart desired. We can thank God for that. We've seen what happens when we're given over to the wills of our own hearts. And so in this moment, um, the Holy Spirit uh, comes in and unifies them in a way that only the Spirit of God can do to bring them together back under Jesus. And as that happens, they begin to recount each in their own language, in different languages, the mighty works of God. I think therein lies a wonderful and fitting second lesson, namely that not only did they gather, but as they gathered, they're given something. They're given something. They're given gifts by God. And while that seems rather obvious, again, it's often difficult to do. In fact, uh, Father Greg, I think, nailed it in, in Holy Week when he noted the reason we're so uncomfortable with um, being given something is it requires a humility on our part to receive it. We have to actually acknowledge that I don't have it in me, whether, whatever it is, um, to, to do it on my own. That's why it's so hard for us to ask for help. It's often so hard when we're given gifts to receive. It's awkward. Um, we lose that as children, right, that it's beautiful. We're, we're wholly dependent in one age, and then somewhere along the way, we get it in our heads that we've got this, and so we think we can do it on our own. But if we're really honest in the silence of our own hearts, usually at the end of the day, we don't got this. Um, and we would do well to receive what God has for us. And so Pentecost reminds us that God wants to give us every good and perfect gift. But we have to be in a posture to receive those gifts so that we may be the men and women, the church, that he's called us to be. And so it requires a humility that each time we gather, we're open to what God purposes. Sometimes that means we need to just return to him by the very fact that we walk into this place. And at other times, we need to just ask. Ask the Holy Spirit into our lives or into our day. Every day when I wake up, I say, okay, Lord, what's the day going to be? Um, I've got the three things on my list, and if they don't happen, then so be it, as long as I'm faithful to whatever you want, right? It's a daily thing. We don't just have a moment of conversion and then get on with it, um, but daily we are converted, and we invite the Holy Spirit into the midst of our days, our moments, our trials, our circumstances. So we're called to do that. 
You can do that here today before you leave this place. In fact, if you're not sure how, grab one of the team members up here and we'd be happy to pray with you towards that end. But the point is this, that the gifts that God purposes to give are not just so that we become these ultra-special people um, that are set apart from the rest of the world, but we're given gifts for a purpose. In fact, the purpose, of course, is quite evident back in verse 7 uh, through 11. Therein, as they recount in their own languages the mighty works of God, um, they hear what God is doing. And all these people in this providential moment who are gathered in Jerusalem for this festival um, begin to gather around as they hear each in their own native tongue what God is doing. I um, dot, dot, dotted that. Well done, Kim, reading the, uh, the phone book in Acts this morning of all the tribes and nations, the subset of which are gathered on this first day of Pentecost. But the lesson is that there are a lot of people there. And as they gather together, the Spirit of God unifies them at one location as they begin to hear in their own works, in their own tongues, what God has done. I think the lesson there um, is quite simple. It's, it's this, that as they are gathered together, as they are given these gifts, they actually go out and they use their gifts. They go out from that place. In fact, um, if we were to continue on in Acts uh, where we leave off in verse 11, verse 14 is the first opening sermon of the new church, right? Paul, I mean, uh, Peter rather, um, gathers there and takes that moment as the Spirit of God seizes him and proclaims what God has done in Jesus Christ, and 3,000 are added as a result in that day. Does it mean that that is a particular time and place that we can say in history was just unique? Well, it was, in that the Holy Spirit came. But I think, quite frankly, it was that they were open to what God wanted to do in them, and they actually left and used the gifts that God had given them. Church, when you gather together here on Sundays, maybe it's just to find a place where you can try your gifts. Maybe you're an accountant all week long, but you kind of like music. Great, explore that gift. Maybe um, you're working in school all day long, but you like woodworking. Great, we can put you to work. I mean, whatever the case may be, use your gifts, discover your gifts, um, find gifts that you didn't know, um, let's explore that, because when we discover that, we, we tap into what God purposes to do. All that we need to be a church is in the body of Christ in a given place, if we'd walk in the fullness of what he would call us to be about. And they go out, and they do those very things. There's what, you know, um, a little leadership team, as they go out from that place, as they're praying in that place, it's there as they are having this prayer gathering, one great um, Christian teacher said the church was birthed not in a strategy session, but in a prayer meeting. Um, and as they pray together in one place, they get together and they discern what they're called to do, right? Um, what do we do now that the church is growing? The diaconate is formed. God gives them clarity and they go out and they do it. What do we do with these challenges that are arising between Jews and Greeks and all these other groups? They gather together and God gives them that first council of wisdom in Galatians. What do we do with all the challenges that we're presented with? Well, they gather, they pray, and they go out and they do it. God will give us all that we need if we would go out and use it. The late A.W. Tozier, if I can find my quote here, um, put it this way, and it's been quite convicting in a prayer point for me this week. Um, in a generation removed, renowned author and pastor said this, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do 
would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. It's a very convicting thing to pray into, that if we would gather, if we would be open to the gifts God would give us, and if we would go out and use them, it would transform this generation as it has transformed every generation from this very moment, binding up the brokenhearted, caring for the sick and the shut-in, bringing those who need healing, healing both in body, yes, but in mind and in spirit as they are prayed for and encouraged and loved on, the things that take time, the things that go unseen, the things that the church needs to be about. Each and every member of the church needs to be about. And so today, the church is called not just to remember a birthday party, which we often say, today's the birthday of the church, and so it is. But as we gather, we should recall that in this moment, the church was birthed, and she has not and will not stop until Jesus comes again. But each individual and local context is called to be faithful towards that end. And if we're not, the church will persist regardless. And so we must, in our generation, indeed gather together, no matter what comes, we must be open to receive what God has for us. And then we must be faithful to actually go out and put those things into action so that those who do not know Jesus might come to find him as well in their day and in their generation. That is the posture of Pentecost. That is what we're called to remember and embrace today. And that is my prayer for this church. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.